For important disclosure information, please visit acgwealthmanagement.com forward slash podcast disclosure. Hello, welcome to uh, Beer Markets. I'm Bobby Moyer with ACG Wealth Management, and I've got Jimmy Pickard with uh, my colleague here with me. Yeah. Uh, hey, everybody. This is Jimmy Pickard. Glad to be here. I'll apologize once for the way I sound. I feel sick. I won't say anything else about it. Well, hopefully, we're far enough apart from Jimmy that uh, we won't. He won't get any of his his germs on us. But happy Valentine's Day. Yeah. Same to you, Bobby. Any Thanks. plans? Uh, no plans when you have a, a, a child. Um, I think Valentine's Day goes goes out. I wore my red today, but that's that's about as far as maybe I, I go for uh, Valentine's Day. How about you? you? Going out to dinner or something? Uh, I think we're getting uh, takeout sushi. That's what my better half requested. So I offered to cook, but maybe a reflection of my culinary ability, she asked for takeout instead. But we have some stuff Valentine's Day related to talk about in our content. So before we jump into that, why don't you tell me what you're drinking today? Yeah, so I'm, I'm staying with a Virginia beer today. Now that um, dry January is over, I'm actually going to have a real beer. And this is from Lost Rhino Brewing Company. I'm not sure where they are, maybe up in Ashburn, Virginia. Um, but it's a face plan IPA. Uh, the can's pretty cool. It has a guy riding a bike, a mountain bike, and he's falling over and he's about to face plant. It's a pretty good play on words. So Sounds appropriate. Yeah, so I'm... Have, have my beer. What do you have, Jimmy? Nice. I have one from New York. Uh, actually, for two months in a row, I'm drinking a beer provided by our colleague Jake Scott. I'm going to see how long I can go podcasting without having to procure the beer for myself. Hmm. This is from Mortalis Brewing, which is a brewery that he's talked a lot about. So when he was up there recently, I asked him to grab a four-pack for me. And this is their Diana IPA. Um, and it also has a cool can. I'm a big... Uh, judge a can by its cover kind of guy. If it if it's got a good logo, then I'm more likely to buy it. So I'll uh, pop this open, give it a taste, and give you my my feedback on it. Yeah, mine's pretty good. I, I like it. Oh yeah, that's nice. It's better than the gingerbread stout for sure. Well, that's good. Um, so with that Valentine's Day, Jimmy, it's a, it's a big day in the markets too. Yeah, it was a big CPI day. CPI day. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, CPI has been at the front of everyone's mind for over a year now. We got CPI from January this morning. Uh, but before diving into those numbers, I, I thought we'd talk about you know the Valentine's Day theme, keeping it more Valentine's related. I have this thing that I, I caught on social media today showing the different uh, Valentine's gifts and prices that have been hit hardest by inflation. And I don't know about you, but my main takeaway from this, I'm seeing the airline fares are on there at the top with the highest increase. That's notable, I guess, but my main takeaway is that I'm drastically underperforming on my Valentine's Day gifts because I'm not buying airline tickets. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I guess that's a big thing now. It's going on trips and hotels and motels is on here. Yeah. Flowers, I went out and bought flowers today, so I'm there and flowers are seem to be below overall inflation right now. So. Yeah, flowers are, are apparently a deal. Uh, jewelry and watches, if you're into that for Valentine's Day, that's also good. Yeah, in general, I think it's fair to say that people are spending more this year for their loved ones on Valentine's Day, just like they are and everything else that's out there. Yes, I think that's a good segue. 
So the CPI number this morning, speaking of everybody spending more this year, was came in at 6.4% year over year versus an expected 6.2%. Um, hmm. So I guess we call that a little bit hotter than, than what we were expecting. Um, and maybe the big number was the month over month was up 0.5%. And, you know, we've heard from a lot of the bulls out there in the market here recently that, you know, look at 0.1, 0.2, very, the monthly was very mild, if you will, from an inflation standpoint. But this was a significant jump up to 0.5. Right. If you annualize that out, that's obviously 6% uh, on an annual basis. And that's close to what the year over year number is and obviously well above the Fed's long-term target of two. And so I, I think that this was... You could easily categorize this release today as a disappointment for the markets. Um, it, would, it would have been nice to see CPI coming down at the type of clip that we had seen over the past few months, but going from 6.5 to 6.4 obviously isn't uh, aligned with the narrative that we had been seeing uh, over the pet, you know, over the starts of the year. I think the market reaction today was pretty interesting. You had yields on the short end of the curve spike pretty significantly, as you'd expect, right, because uh, higher than expected inflation portends Fed tightening for longer and potentially increasing the rate um, more than people had previously thought. Uh, but the market reaction, yes, the S&P 500 was slightly negative, you could call it flat, but the NASDAQ, which has led for most of the year, more tech-heavy, more sensitive to a higher interest rate environment, even though short yields spiked, the NASDAQ outperformed the other major market uh, stock indexes today. Yeah, very interesting. And, and you know, back to rates real quick, the six month now is over 5%. I think wow. that's the first time we've seen actually rates get up to where we think the uh, the Fed's going to end up at, at around 5%. So I think the, the movement in rates, uh, but really surprising, I, I concur with what you're saying when you see rates um, rates up and, and growth, those long duration equities actually um, outperforming today doesn't seem to to, to go right um, with what you would expect. And I think the market was all over the place today, really, at least the S&P 500 up and down, um, pretty big moves, half a percentage point moves up and down, really trying to digest this number. And is it, are we happy that, you know, we have some inflation and the market could, could handle it and, you know, we're going to be okay? Or is it, you know, more that you know the Fed's not going to cut rates because the market is so so is going, or the economy is so strong. I mean, I think that's really where we're at trying to figure this out. Right. And there's a complete lack of clarity on on how this is going to pan out. And I think diving into the the CPI number today and looking at what's really driving it to stay higher is going to be informative because that ties in with the jobs picture. Well, if we think about goods, which make up a decent part of the CPI basket, those, the price of goods has come down pretty significantly over the past several months, but it's the services, and specifically the services X shelter, right, right. that have stayed really strong. And I, I think, you know, if we're looking at uh, the number that came out today, services CPI, it's still 7.2%. So that's above the 6.4% broader number. And the trend there is just nowhere near where the Fed wants it to be. And I think that ties in with the jobs picture, right? Because what drives services CPI, that's that's wages at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. If you have to pay your employees more, then you have to charge more for your services. It doesn't matter what's happening with commodities, 
what, ha- what happens with fuel, what happens with supply chain. At the end of the day, as long as the labor market remains really tight, it's really tough to envision a way that the services CPI could come down to a satisfactory level. Yeah, that's it. That's and that's that's tough though, right? I mean, how do you how do you get that to recorrect other than create job losses? <laughs> you know, and that's you know again longer for um, lo- or lower higher for longer for rates. And I think even the, the Fed funds rate and the expectations of that, where we were expecting to see uh, rate cuts, or at least the market was expecting rate cuts later in the year, that has gotten pushed off now, uh, where we think. The higher terminal rate is going to be above five percent, and now the market's beginning to digest that. But then we're also slipping back and um, maybe not seeing a cut. And if we do, at least from a market expectation standpoint, it will be very end of the year or not into next year. And um, but not a back to not a disappointing reaction in the market. I, I still come back to that as being surprising. And that's this is one of the cases for me where if you gave me that number early. I probably would have predicted the market doing something different today, or at least having a harsh sell-off um, in this environment. So even knowing the number, and I think when you get into the internals, that's part of it as well. Well, I, I think that it's also just reflective of the shift in sentiment that we've seen. When we were talking earlier offline about how sentiment has shift, shifted over the past couple of months, and I made the point that if you, if you told me that we had today's CPI, if you told me that we had the jobs number that we had earlier this month, which we'll talk about, then I would have predicted a much larger sell-off simply because it's, again, all of it supports the Fed's narrative of, you know, the job's nowhere close to being done. We still need to keep hiking. We have to keep rates higher for longer to get uh, inflation under control. But I think because stocks have gone up, because bonds have gone up so much this year, um, that's created a shift in how people are viewing these things. And they're still an optimistic lens through which a lot of people are viewing the market right now. And so I think for that reason, we saw more resilience in the market reaction to CPI today than perhaps we would have seen with the same thing a few months ago. Yeah, and I think, you know, you mentioned something in there that the bonds have done well this year, and this isn't good for bonds, right? Because if rates going higher, will push bonds down. And, and we've talked about a lot of times this year about how Bonds are much more attractive, um, but if rates keep going up, a client might ask, or you wonder, why, well, why are they still attractive? Well, don't forget, we came from zero rates. So even if you saw zero rates last year, now we're starting at least from a baseline of four, five, six percent. So even if rates go up a little bit, you have a little bit of a, an interest that's going to build monthly that you still may not have that negative return, even with a little bit higher rates, which that gives you a little bit more of a safety haven. So I think this still isn't detrimental to bonds and the opportunity in bonds this year. Although on the surface, you may see a little bit of, you know, price prices come under pressure here as, as rates go up. But we still were in a good spot um, from a, a bond standpoint. And the fact that we have yield actually to earn this year is a good thing for any bondholders. Yeah, I think that's important to note. I mean, you never say never, but it would take a really significant increase in yields from where we stand today for uh, the bond portfolio for most investors to see a negative return in 2023 simply because the higher yields from where we're starting now make up so much more of a difference compared with last year with yields next to nothing. And but, I don't think anything in the number today has us fearful that we're going to see a reacceler- reacceleration into inflation at all. There yeah. are certain things in the internals that 
I don't want to say this makes sense because obviously the analyst got it wrong, but I don't, I'm not overly concerned about a reacceleration at this point because that's the environment where if you have the Fed had to raise rates another five percent, that you may that you would see you know another negative year. But I, I don't think we're at that situation right now. Speaking of analysts getting it wrong, I think we should talk about the jobs number that sure. released at the beginning of this month, and we alluded to it in our Investor Insights newsletter and video. But because we filmed on the day that it was released, we didn't delve too deep into it. But the expectation was that non-farm payrolls would add 185,000 jobs in the month of January. In fact, we added 517,000 jobs. That's a huge difference. I mean, I, 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 don't, I didn't go back to look, but I, I can't remember the last time there was this big of a delta in either direction, right, for for a monthly jobs uh, gain. And it obviously speaks to the resilience of the economy and the labor market. Um, but again, I think the, the market reaction to that was encouraging, right? Because even though it would support the Fed's intention and the Fed's narrative that, okay, well, the labor market's still too tight, wages are growing because there's more leverage in the, the workforce, which is contributing to services inflation, we really didn't see that big of a sell-off. And even after today's mild decline in the S&P, we're still positive month to date from where we stand at the end of February 14th. Yeah, I think the wind came out of the sails a little bit in February, but I think that was more a result of how strong January was, not so much. You know, this number too, I agree with you. These two, in these two numbers, the inflation and this jobs number, would tell you that the Fed has more work to do and they could be higher for longer, as you said. And that you would have thought would have been a negative for the markets and and tech and the tech sector or the Nasdaq, and it's just not what we've seen. Um, so I think you've got to take away some positives of the jobs environment, the employment rate, and how tight the labor market is. Um, I'm not sure the Fed is is overly excited about that. Uh, I think they want to see maybe a little bit of cooling off there. But, you know, I think some of the demographics that are going on, there's just an imbalance. It's like housing, right? There's an imbalance of workers versus demand people. And there's also the situation of employers not wanting to lay people off, right? Because it was so hard to hire people for so long that they just, they're not going to lay people off in this environment until they, they probably need to a little bit. You're seeing it in the tech sector a little bit. But listen, they, they were doing whatever they wanted to for so long and probably got payrolls a little bit bloated um, and cutting a very, very small piece of the overall U.S. private sector of the workforce. So you mean Alphabet didn't need like 30 masseuses on their on their payroll? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal a few days ago that I thought laid it out very clearly because obviously there's a dissonance between all these headlines we've been seeing specifically from the tech sector and if you only read those headlines, you would think, okay, well, clearly the employment picture is crumbling. But the tech sector only makes up about 2% of private sector jobs. Uh, by comparison, uh, let's see. So employers in healthcare, education, leisure, and hospitality, and other services such as dry cleaning and automated repair account for about 36% of all private sector payrolls. And together, those service industries added 1.19 million jobs over the past six months, which accounts for 63% of all private sector job gains during that time, which is 40, it's up from 47% in the previous year. So all that to say, the economy is much bigger than just the tech sector. And sure, those are the, the slick and glossy jobs, the, the higher paying jobs, right? And it's not to say it's not meaningful, but 
we shouldn't get too fixated on just what's happening within that one sector. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That's that's the headline though, right? That's what's on CNBC and that's kind of what analysts want to see. So that's what's being reported out there. And But it, it has filtered a little bit into, I think Ford announced they're laying off some corporate jobs, um, engineering jobs and 3M manufacturing jobs. So it, it's, it's spreading a little bit, but again, there's just so much other demand elsewhere where it's still a major positive for um, the economy. The economy is just still really strong. And, you know, we talked about airlines earlier and hotels. You know, people are traveling. People are still out doing things. And, you know, those are those are some tough spots to fill, some tough jobs to fill. So I think you're, you're going to continue to see pressure on the, on the services sector. Yeah, to summarize, so I, I feel like it's going to continue to be this tension between, <coughs> excuse me, what's happening in, in the labor market and how tight does that remain vis-a-vis what's happening with uh, services inflation in particular, and is that coming down fast enough in order to satisfy the Fed? And all of that happening in parallel to what's happening with higher rates and the impact that that's having on business investment and down to the consumer, right? right. Buying houses and all of that. And I personally, I've been surprised at how um, resilient, perseverant the whole situation has been thus far. But that's not to say that it can last indefinitely. So it's really just how long will that last, right? Yeah, and I think the Fed raised rates for the first time coming up on a year ago. And, you know, it's been taught in, in textbooks that uh, 12 to 15 months to run through the, the economy, these rate hikes. So you're only, we're only coming up on a year where the first rate hike came. So these, these higher rates are going to continue to feed through through the economy. And, you know, whether that falls into the market, we'll have to see. And we mentioned in the Investor Insights, that there was a disconnect between what the Fed was saying about rates and what uh, the market was pricing in. And today was even a greater exaggeration, as I mentioned earlier, about you know Fed expectations not being where the market expectations were and the market digesting it rather rather well. So I think if you're a bull, you, you've got to be positive. You've got to be happy with where we, where we sit today, um, you know, just given kind of the market movements. Yeah, totally agree. You know, the other thing that we were considering talking about today, maybe, maybe not, is just an update on earnings season. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on that. I mean, I, th- I think the, the main takeaway there is that, sure, it doesn't look great. I mean, I, I think that the blended earnings declined for Q4 of last year as we sit today with about 7 out of 10 companies in the S&P 500 reporting is a 4.9% decline. That's a slight deterioration from what we were expecting at the end of 2022. But, you know, it's, it's not great. It's not catastrophic, right? And if anything, I think that the market resilience in the face of this disappointing earnings season has been a positive indicator. Um, so, you know, unless you have anything more that you want to add on that, then I, I think we could. I know you want to talk about chat GPT, so maybe we just uh, dive right into that. Yeah, so that, that, that's kind of been the – I feel like, Jimmy, these last couple of years, there's always been a theme out there, something that – uh, is is trendy, right? And whether it, it, it matters or not, I don't know. But you know, this is the new thing. Uh, Chat GPT is you know you probably know a little bit more about it than me. But this, have you used it yet? I have not used it. Uh, you want to talk about maybe have you used it or have you read about being used? Well, yeah, I, I signed up for it a few weeks ago um, when it was first making its rounds in the news, and you know, a couple notable things. Now, if you try to use it. Good luck, right? Because their servers aren't aren't 
robust enough at this point to necessarily handle capacity. The past few times that I've logged in and tried to use it, I basically get weightlined, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw you added it to our list of things to talk about today. And so I decided to use it and ask for interesting things to say about chat GPT. Um, and it didn't, didn't really give me any good insights. Uh, so that's yeah. the main way that I've used it recently. Yeah, I guess uh, the but other it way, is impressive. I guess maybe high level, correct me, maybe jump in where I'm wrong. But, you know, it's ChatGPT is a chatbot developed by OpenAI, right? And Microsoft took a, a joint venture or some piece of OpenAI maybe back in November or something to be a, an investor there um, and began using it in their their suite of products. And, you know, it seems to be – it's just – artificial intelligence essentially and it's a use case for artificial intelligence and that's what excites people right it it's allowing you i know there's some concerns about schools and some you know kids that are able to just go on and write an essay and and put it in and ask chat gpt to do it and they spit out this this essay that was written and not plagiarized it's my understanding just written in good form with true facts about something that happened in the past um so it could have some concerns but it's kind of a an efficient and productive tool of technology. <clears throat> I think what's really interesting about it, though, is you know Microsoft is has been trying for years to compete against search engines, right? And you see Google, you know, everybody knows it's, it's a verb, right? What are you going to do? I'll Google it. You know, it doesn't matter if you use you know whatever platform from a search engine standpoint. You know, Internet Explorer, dating myself a little bit, or or Bing. Uh, but now all of a sudden. Microsoft comes out and announces they're going to incorporate ChatGPT into their Bing service. Well, Microsoft stock is skyrocketing because of how phenomenal this technology is. Google is now selling off because, you know, they're going to lose all of a sudden all this market share to to Microsoft and their search engine. I find that a little bit comical that I don't know if everybody's going to just all of a sudden get up and, and move. The other thing that I find interesting, too, on this whole point is if Google and Google announced theirs, right? What's it called? Bard or Bard or something? Bert. Bert something. Well, one thing I asked uh, ChatGPT about today was who its main competitor was, and it said Bert. Okay. So it's it's aware of its own threats, Yeah, which really, is a little bit scary, but also impressive. Yeah, but I guess Google kind of rushed their invest their investor day with it, and they tried to search it, and it made a big big mistake or something, a spelling error or a speaking error. Uh, so that has pushed now the stock down from Google. But I think, you know, when you look at Google and why they like the search engine, they do a lot with sponsored ads and they are really about algorithms and everything where this is about making your life better and more efficient and actually bringing to the top of the web page what you want to find, not what, who's going to find how to beat the, the algorithms of Google or Microsoft. So even if Google develops this, and they will, um, to compete, they're going to cannibalize their own business from a revenue standpoint if they make things more efficient for, for users on the platform. But I think it's completely over-exaggerated. I am not making any recommendation to go by Google, but to see Google off... 10% such a large company, um, you know, because of this news of Microsoft, right. I, I find, you know, a little bit comical. And then, you know, you have some of the other names out here that Big Bear AI is up 600% year to date. What do they do? Something similar, right? C3 AI. What are they up? 100% year to date. Guard Force AI, 20, 270% year to date. 
And now I hear that NVIDIA is the one powering all this. What's NVIDIA up year to date? A big, large, what is it, the, one of the six, seven, eight biggest companies in the S&P? 50% year to date, hmm. all because of ChatGPT. Um, so, you know, whether this is a trend or not, I don't know. You know, we heard this with blockchain and, um, you know, some of the, the cryptocurrencies and blockchain was going to change the world. Well, this actually could have some positive or maybe productive uses to it. So I, I see some positives, but it's also kind of amazing to see the market kind of bid up these stocks and retail investors pop into them really quickly to try to get um, get a place. And I, I mentioned to you earlier, ETFs are out there. You see the commercials now, AI ETFs, which have been around for a little while, but let's market more to the retail investor who hears about these things and missed the 600% that would go by the ETF, and this happened with blockchain years ago, where you know we've seen this. Yeah, I, I'm with you on all of that, and I, I've actually gotten a few questions in recent weeks about, you know, how can I invest in in AI, and I think that's a really interesting question. It, the way that I'm viewing it now, AI is a technology, right? It's a even more broadly, it's a concept, right? That applies to multiple technologies, and I think just like the internet just like blockchain eventually, and just Hopefully. like, yeah, potentially, right? Uh, different companies in different sectors will find ways to capitalize on the applications of AI within their own spaces. And if you really want to, you know, swing for the fences and take speculative bets on AI, you want to invest directly in AI and that research, and sure, go ahead and Buy stock in Big Bear, C3, Guard Force, three companies that I had not heard about prior to today, right? But you have to understand that if you do that, those are speculative investments. Um, they're trades more than investments because ultimately, and again, I'm saying this somewhat uninformed because I haven't done a lot of research on those companies, but they're predicated on the success of their development, right? Whereas if you shift your perspective a little bit and you think about Okay, well, how are the big players, Google, Microsoft, Apple, really thinking about AI and how it can enhance the way that they do their business and the way they interact with their with their customers and their, their stakeholders? I think that those are the companies that have the resources in order to be able to capitalize on this over time, whether it's through acquisition of companies like the smaller ones or through their own internal development, right? So I, I caution anyone listening to not get too swept up in the thematic rally that we're seeing within the AI space and put more faith, I guess, in the overall market's ability to digest this new concept, this new technology to hopefully enhance returns across the board over time. Yeah, and I, the only thing I'll add to that, I agree, is what I said earlier about the ETFs, right? These ETF companies, a lot of times, they're marketing to the, the new fad. So just know what you're buying. If you go in... You know, I, I, IBM, you know, Watson has been around for how long? That's a version, I think, of artificial intelligence or a way to use technology from a, a productivity standpoint, but it hasn't really caught on in any great lengths like this. But be careful what you own to see what stocks are actually in there and what opportunities. To me, it's almost a lot like biotech where it's binary, right? Where it's either going to be good or bad. And exactly. if it's bad, it's zero. And if it's good, it's to the moon like Big Bear, you know, and, you know, I, I like the name, um, but I'm not sure. I like 600%, but I'm not sure. I'm gonna do you have any idea what they do? 
AI. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bigbear.ai. <clears throat> that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's, but that's what, that's the market we're in. That's, and yeah. that's kind of, you know, the concerning area of all this to me is, you know, I, I think it's great. A lot of retail investors are involved in the markets, but don't try to, there's no silver bullet. Don't try to hit all your winnings and, and hit a grand slam on, you know, one name with with your retirement or with all your money. But, you know, it's good. Learn about these companies and maybe they end up being being something. Some of them will. Technology advances at a quick rate, but a lot of times they get, you know, bit up pretty quickly and, you know, maybe it falls significantly after that. These I know these stocks have been very volatile here recently um, just because of the action going on and kind of the talking points. Yeah, no, I think that's a good take, and I'm I'm glad we covered that because we have been hearing more and more about it. Uh, we're coming up on time, so I think this is probably a good place to wrap it up. I don't think we said this last time, but I do want to go ahead and solicit questions, feedback from our listeners. If there's ever anything that you guys want us to talk about, um, you probably already know how to reach Bobby and myself. You can also send an email to your team at acgwealthmanagement.com. With any questions, um, that's the best way to. That's one of the best ways to um, stay in front of us, and we'd love to address questions or feedback that, that we're getting from our listeners. Uh, anything else to add there, Bobby? No, we're two weeks away from the end of the month already, and we'll you know do investor insights in two weeks to recap the month. But thanks for joining us. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Beer Markets. For important disclosure information, please visit acgwealthmanagement.com forward slash podcast disclosure.